This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning. Turn once again to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're in our third of four weeks in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. We have slowed down here a little bit. We'll pick up the pace after this uh, next week in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. But we have done that for a number of reasons. We've slowed down, mainly because it's a great way to start the year uh, to be feasting upon this text. It's a wonderful summary of the book of Hebrews, and since we had taken a little break over Christmas, it's good for us to be reminded of where we've been and what God is saying to us. It's also a really beautiful picture of the Christian life, and in an area in which often seems to be so confusing for us, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 really gives some clarity on what it is God wants from us and expects from us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth is, there is kind of a goal that the book of Hebrews has to lead us, listen, out of this legalistic system made up of rules and regulations and burdens and heaviness and the sense that we can never do enough to get God's approval, this religious system which always makes us really feel worse about ourselves and never good enough. Listen, God wants to lead us out of that. And for those of us who have been deeply ingrained in that and grown up in that, it often is hard to find our identity outside of that because we tend to find our identity in our ability to meet the expectations that were put before us or others under that kind of pressure have just rebelled and said, I can't live like that any longer. I wanna tell you something this morning. Jesus wants to lead you out of that. And he wants to lead you to a life-giving, personal, daily, real relationship with himself. He wants you to discover himself, not a religious system, but Jesus Christ. And the book of Hebrews is leading us away from that. And the reason it's not legalistic or exhausting to plead with you to pursue Jesus, listen, is because when you run after Jesus, you're running to rest. We saw this last week. The way in which we walk this Christian life is really, we don't walk at all, we run. <laughs> and we run away from something and we run to something. And my concern often when I get up in front of you on Sunday mornings is I don't want to leave you with another burden. I don't wanna leave you with another feeling that you're just not good enough. But what God taught us last Sunday is that if I will continue to plead with you to run to Jesus, the reality is as you run to him, you're actually going to find rest for a weary soul. You're going to find life and joy and peace, but you must run. And in the Christian life, when we talk about running as it does in Hebrews 12, we're always running from something and to something else. You repent and you follow, meaning you're running from sin and you're running towards Jesus. You lose your life in order to gain your life. 
And we see that in our text this morning, that in order to run to something, you have to run away from something. If you're there in Hebrews 12, say amen. Listen to these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And so last week, we looked at that idea in verse one of running away from something. You have to, as a believer, run away from sin. You have to run away from hindrances. It may not even be sin, but anything that is slowing up your pace in your pursuit of Jesus, you have to run away from that. And the reason that's important is because there is this constant pull of the world. Don't you feel it? The pull of sin, the pull of worldliness, and it's constantly pulling us this direction, and we must run away from that. But we must not only run away, we must run too. Because the great glory of running away from something is that we believe that what we're running to is better than what we're leaving. And that's Christianity. I'm going to leave this and run away from it. Why? Because I believe that if I run this way, what I'm going to get is better. Do you realize that? The pursuit of Jesus Christ is the pursuit of that which is better for you. It is that which leads you to more life and joy and wholeness and satisfaction. But we have to think about both of those. You can't just run away from something. If you're always running away from something, then what's happening in your mind is it's just sin, sin, sin. I've got so much sin. I got to go away from the sin. I'm never good enough. And I wake up every morning feeling like I'm just a complete failure because I'm a sinner. And I just got to run from sin. But you can't also just run to something. Because if you run to something, you're going to forget that sin does matter and it's significant and it's robbing you of all the good things that God wants to do in your life. It could be that even in your pursuit of Jesus, that sin is undermining so much of the good God wants to do. And in my experience, most churches don't tend to be very balanced in that way, do they? It's either the run away from something church or the run to something church. The church that's always preaching, get rid of your sin, fight your sin. Or the church that never mentions sin and say, just Jesus, Jesus. What the Lord wants us to do is find that in our running away from sin, which we must do, we are running to Jesus to find something so much better. And the truth is, this is the way in which the Christian life works. Because when we run from sin, we're running from that which brings us death. And when we run to Jesus, we're running to that which brings us life. Because we don't want to just run. <laughs> we want to run in the right direction. We said this last week, everybody's exhausted. This is an exhausted generation. Mostly our fault because of the things that we've chosen to do and bring into our life but we want to run in the right direction. And the principle of the text this morning is this. You are always going to run in the direction that you're looking. You're always gonna run in the direction that you're looking. Where your eyes are looking is the direction that you're going to go. 
And so the key is not just to start running. The key is first to get our eyes in the right direction to make sure that we run that way. And so this morning, we're gonna focus on 10 words. They're the first 10 words of verse two. It says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So verse one, looking away from sin and hindrances, recognizing them, seeing them, turning from them, and then fixing our gaze upon Jesus that we might run in that direction. Now look at the words for just a minute. That first word, looking, is significant because what it really means is to look away from something in order to look at something else. It really has a certain motion to it, and it's the motion of this text, and it's the motion of our lives. The motion is, I see this over here and it has this appeal to me because it's sin. Or it's some hindrance, something that's keeping me from following Jesus completely. But the motion is this, I am turning my attention from that and very consciously and specifically turning my gaze towards Jesus Christ. This is a continual daily motion. This has to get deep in our hearts. This is not like a one-time thing we do when we become a Christian. So I looked away from sin and looked in Jesus. This is, this is every day. This is every moment of the day. Like this is what we do every day because there's never a moment of the day in which sin stops calling you in that direction, right? Like we can't just do this in the morning because an hour after that, we're gonna feel the pull of sin. And so the habit of our lives all the time is to fix our gaze away from this and turn it on to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but sometimes if I'm, my kids are talking to me and, and they don't sense that I'm listening to them because I'm not looking at them. And the reason they sense I'm not listening to them is because I'm probably not at that moment. Sometimes instead of just keeping saying something, they'll, they'll put their hand right here and they'll kind of turn their head like this. You know what I'm talking about? This is what the text is doing. Listen, what Jesus is doing in this text is this. He's putting his hand under your chin and he's saying, stop looking at that which brings you death and look to me because I've got life. God in his grace is putting his gentle and kind hand under your chin. So instead of thinking about this oppressive Jesus who is constantly telling you how bad you are, he's just saying, I love you. My heart breaks for you. Every time I see you go that direction, my heart breaks because I love you. And I want you to turn to me. So he just puts his hand. This is the feel of the text. And he says, look this way. Look at me. And that's why it says we are not only laying aside, but we by faith are looking to Jesus. And I love the fact there that it says Jesus. This may seem insignificant, but there's a ton of titles of Jesus in the book of Hebrews. I think seven different titles. Like he's the son and the captain and the apostle, the high priest, the mediator, all these glorious exalted titles, which we looked over last year. But this is just looking to Jesus. Because he wants us to see Jesus in his flesh and in his humanity. And we, we look this morning as we sang to the high and exalted Christ. And we will look at that next week. But right now it's saying, I want you to fix your eyes on God in the flesh. Jesus in his humanity. Why? Because he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Founder means he's the pioneer. He's the, he's the leader. He's the champion. He, he charted the course and he, he leads the way. And he's the perfecter of it. He nailed it. Like he did it perfectly. The reason he's called the second Adam is because the first Adam created in the image of God without sin was to run that race perfectly, but he could not do it. Neither can we. But Jesus has come. 
created by God to come and to show us that he alone is the hero of the Bible. He alone can finish the course. He alone can do it perfectly. He is the founder, the author, the perfecter of our faith. He is the one that started it. He is the one that completed it. And I love that it says it's of our faith, meaning he came to run the Christian life. So we talk about this race that is set before us. The race that we run is the race that Jesus ran. It's the race of our faith, not of his faith, as if he was running some different race than we are. No, he ran the race that we've been called to run. Our mission here at Prince is simple. We say it all the time, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. So that's all we wanna do, just constantly lead you to trust and follow Jesus. Do you realize that Jesus lived a life in which he trusted and followed. Do you realize that? He trusted the father. He trusted what the father had called him to do. And then he followed that. So this inner disposition of trusting with this outer exercise of following, Jesus did this. And so the exact thing that we're called to do is what Jesus has already done. And the only way we learn to do it is by fixing our eyes on the one who already did it perfectly. And so the reason we're looking to him is because out of all the witnesses, which are good and helpful, none of them did what Jesus did, and that is complete the race perfectly. And so we look to others who encourage us and help us, but our gaze is fixed upon Jesus Christ. Now, I'm always aware in a text like this of the temptation for a preacher to preach this text in a way that gets us excited and, and motivated, but yet leaving, having no idea what it means or what to do. This is an easy one from this. So what I'm saying is we can get together and sing songs like we sing, and then I can say, church, let's look to Jesus, amen? Let's look to Jesus, let's look to Jesus. And we can go away saying, amen, let's look to Jesus. And then we have no idea what that means. No clue what that, it sounds great. We have no idea. I was thinking this week when I was in seminary, I was on staff at this really historic downtown church in North Carolina, beautiful church right in downtown, great church. One of the interesting things about this church is there were pictures of Jesus everywhere. Not like cheap ones, but really old, expensive, nice ones. So you would go through the big pillars up the front steps and open the front doors, huge picture of Jesus, the first thing you see. And then if you were to go in the back doors to the sanctuary, big picture of Jesus, big picture of Jesus. Walking down the hall of the center, pictures of Jesus. And our staff used to joke, not to anyone that went to church there, but just, you know, behind the scenes, that if Jesus were to ever come to church, we kind of felt like the first thing he would ask is, Who's that guy and why are there pictures of him everywhere? To which we would say, well, Jesus, that's you. To which he would respond, I'm not white. <laughs> would be one of the first things he would say. I just have to believe he would think it was really weird that we had all these pictures of white Jesus all over the place. I mean, is that how we look to Jesus? Like, are, were those put there in the 1800s so that when we walk in the church, the first thing we do is, is we look to Jesus? No, not at all. That's not really helpful at all in our pursuit of Jesus Christ. But there is a way on a daily basis for us to fix our eyes upon a Jesus. And the way in which we do that is look at me, we take this book right here to which as the Jesus Storybook Bible taught us, every single story is whispering his name. 
from the first verse to the last verse, everything in this book pointing us towards Jesus Christ. And we open it consistently day after day after day with one goal in mind, Jesus, I want to see you. And we do what we talked about last week. Instead of living a life in which we're constantly amusing ourselves, meaning we're filling our lives with petty, useless things to keep us from giving anything serious thought. Instead of doing that, we muse, we ponder, we look, we think deeply about Jesus. We have to muse on Jesus. We have to ponder Jesus. We have to think carefully about Jesus. We have to open this book and gaze upon the person of Jesus Christ. Psalm 16, eight says, I have set the Lord continually before me. That's it. Like I just gotta keep putting my eyes very thoughtfully and intentionally on Jesus Christ. There's something that was really clarified in my heart a couple of weeks ago at our Look to Jesus conference that really helped me and I think in a new way to, to know how to look to Jesus. So it's not just, just kind of this random thought, but, but really how do I look to Jesus? And what I learned is this. If we want to look at Jesus, we must see Jesus above the surface and below the surface. Above the surface is all the things that Jesus did. Below the surface is the reason that Jesus did them. We have to see both of these things. Because if we only see what's above the surface, we might attempt to do the right things, but without the wrong motivation, or without the right motivation, we're gonna get everything wrong. And if we look, just look at Jesus below the surface, we're gonna maybe have this tendency to be deep in our relationship with Jesus, but miss all the things that Jesus did. And so what I wanna give you this morning in hopes that we might learn how to really look to Jesus, I wanna give you four words, two above the surface and two below the surface. Two that seem obvious to us and two that might not seem so obvious to us. First of all, let's look above the surface. Two words that we need to look at when we look at Jesus, grace and truth. That's the two words above the surface. When you look above the surface at the life and ministry of Jesus, what do you see? You see grace and truth. And I get this from John 1.14, which says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. You know, I've seen this chart a lot of times. It goes something like this. It goes grace over here and truth over here. We're good. Everything's good. We're good. Like I, I have five kids. I didn't even notice that. Like that was just, that was nothing. That's every day. Like, okay, we're good. Okay, so grace over here and truth over here. And what people often ask you to do is kind of chart where you are. And the reason is because some of you are really good truth people and really bad grace people. Some of you are really good grace people and really bad truth people. Right? So we do tend to be along the spectrum. Think about this. Here's a line, grace and truth. What happens with Jesus is this. So imagine this lined out. It gets folded in half where grace and truth are both here and Jesus is right there. So he, he's not one way or the other on the spectrum. It folds up and he's full of grace and full of truth in every way. So much so that his grace makes us uncomfortable and his truth makes us uncomfortable because he's full of both of them. I mean, just think about the grace of, of Jesus Christ that we see displayed in his ministry. Think about the way in which he showed up on earth and gave to rebellious sinners 
who deserved nothing but his justice and his wrath, he poured out undeserved favor. He just gave goodness and kindness and gentleness and patience. He could have come, listen, as a vigilante of, of justice. That would have been a good and right thing. He could have just came and exposed us all. Do you imagine how terrifying it would have been to have Jesus showing up and just calling us out on everything that's in our heart that no one else sees? Can you imagine that? You think he's great. He's a pervert. You think he's great. He's a liar. Oh, you see her? Oh, you don't even. It's unbelievable. Totally immoral. Can you imagine? Consumed with herself, full of pride. Jesus could have done this and would have been right in doing it. We couldn't have said, Jesus, you shouldn't do that. He should have, but he didn't. He came and poured out upon us constant, unmerited, undeserved favor and goodness. I would say when I read the gospels, the most shocking thing to me is the people that were drawn to Jesus. The, the, the worst of all categories in that day and in ours. So you have the worst of the sexually immoral. Do you realize they would come near to Jesus? Those on the wrong political side of the spectrum in our mind. Do you realize they would come close to Jesus? Criminals would come close to Jesus. Political zealots who wanted to overthrow the government would come close to Jesus. There's all of these people who we would never expect and never imagine who when Jesus came would draw near to him. Think, think about those from a culture that we despise. I would say for us after 9-11, for most people it tends to be Muslims, let's be honest. There's something in people that after 9-11 we just, people don't tend to like Muslims. That's exactly like the Samaritans whom Jesus sat with at a well and she was drawn to Jesus. Now listen, one of the ways we know that the church no longer possesses the amount of grace that Jesus did is because those people are no longer drawn to the church. Is it true? They're not drawn to the church. As a matter of fact, they don't feel like they should come to the church. But we're scared of giving this kind of grace because what are people gonna think? Are they gonna think we don't have convictions? And so in the name of truth, we create this atmosphere in which those that are broken can't come clean and, and those who are far away can't come near. But the reality is, is those kind of people Jesus was drawn to and they were drawn to Jesus. And while the religious institution who thought they were right could not handle Jesus, those furthest away wanted to be close to him because of this, because he was full of grace. And there was something about his eyes and something about his patience and something about his words and something about his disposition that made the worst of the worst feel like they could come right to him and be safe. He's full of grace. But here's what is hard to understand. He, he's also full of truth. Meaning that, that he never hesitates as an act of gracious compassion to speak the truth. So the woman at the well comes and Jesus says, I need a drink of water. And she says, why are you a Jew talking to me as Samaritans? Because the Jews despised the Samaritans. So even in that moment, Jesus is showing us full of grace to even engage this woman. He says, go get your husband. Because I don't have a husband. 
To which he says, I know, you've had five husbands and you're sleeping with a man right now that's not your husband. That's truth. <laughs> that's truth. Like taking, taking the most broken part of this woman's life and saying, listen, you've had five husbands, you're sleeping with another man that's not your husband, probably because he's just said, can we just sleep together and not get married because we know how this is gonna go. Like Jesus exposes everything about her, but you know why he does it? Because out of a heart of gracious compassion, he knows that only the truth will set her free. Only the truth is gonna help her understand that she is a woman like many of the young girls here, desperate for some sense of affirmation and affection. She's just trying to find it in a man who will always disappoint. Can I just say from a man's perspective, will always disappoint you. Always, every time. Jesus says, I gotta tell you the truth because I don't want you to tell you the truth. You're, you're, you're never gonna come and find satisfaction. And then you have Jesus like in, in John 6 when these great crowds come to hear him and he preaches these hard truths and you know what happens? The crowd leaves. He has less followers at the end of the sermon than, than, than he did at the beginning. It's like preacher's worst nightmare. Like half of the people don't come back next week. But here's what preachers would do. They would spend all week thinking about how they could change the message to get the people back. Jesus doesn't do that. He gives them the truth, tells it, and if they can't handle it, they walk away. But he never changes the message. He never changes the cost. He never ignores the sacrifice and the suffering that comes with following him. He never changes that. Praise God he didn't hire some consultant to tell him how to grow a church. You, you know, Jesus always talks about the two things that no pastor likes to talk about because people don't want to hear it. Can you tell me the thing? What are two things that preachers don't want to talk about because people don't want to hear it? Anybody? Yeah, sin, I would say hell. What else? Money, money, that's right. If I introduce today, next week I'm starting my 10-week series, five on hell and five on money. <laughs> well, I might be more like Jesus because half of you ain't coming back. Like, this is not the way to grow a ministry. Like, I would love it, a consultant coming and saying, Jesus, listen, I've been watching you for a week. Listen, zeal, great. Like, doing great. You just, you gotta drop the hell and money stuff, man. Like, this is not working. Truth. Your love of money is destroying your soul. And you're gonna go to hell if you don't repent from your sin and come to me. And here's the deal. Somehow, those who heard his truth most often felt it a gracious gift because there was so much grace in the truth. The greatest thing he could do is look at you and say, you're gonna go to hell if you don't follow me. So above the surface, we see this grace and truth and we gotta keep looking at grace and truth. We gotta keep correcting ourselves and be full of grace and truth. Let me tell you the two things below the surface. Two words below the surface they are security and surrender. Security and surrender. Everything above the surface flowed out of that which is below the surface. Security. Listen, I want you to hear me, and all of us need this, but those of you who are younger, would you please listen to what is happening here? Jesus lived out of this settled 
confidence. I like to call it a, I don't know why, I like to call it a solid center. This settled confidence of the Father's love. And here's the reason. Because in Matthew 3, at his baptism, the Father opened up heaven and said this, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Please listen carefully. What Jesus got from the Father at that moment is the three things that every one of us need the most. He got acceptance, affection, and affirmation. Acceptance, you are mine. I'm proud of you. That's why I'm opening up to heaven and saying it. I'm proud of you, you're mine. You are my beloved. I have affection for you and affirmation. And in you, I'm pleased. You're mine, I love you, and I'm proud of you. You're mine, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Now, unless you have become jaded and cynical because of hurts in the past, those words will resonate in your heart. And the reason is, is because you need those things so desperately. You desperately need acceptance. And you desperately need affection. And you desperately need affirmation. And Jesus had it. And because he had it, in John 5, 41, he could say this, I don't need glory from you, he said to the crowd. I don't, I don't need you to give me your affection and your affirmation because I have a solid center. I've already got it from the Father. I'm not ministering out of a desire to get that from you. Do you realize how much of our life goes in complete dysfunction when we try to find that kind of acceptance and affirmation and affection from something other than God? Choke, sometimes I've told you this before. I've said to Andrea multiple times, baby, I don't need much from you. All I need is for you to constantly, every day and multiple times a day, just to keep telling me how absolutely wonderful I am. Like, I, it's not much, but I need it like constantly poured on, like just more and more. And I'm kind of being funny, but I'm kind of not. Like that's actually, I kind of want that all the time. That comes from not a solid center. So if I'm driven by my need for you to accept me and affirm me, who knows what kind of dysfunction I'll do in this church in order to get your approval. So I have to live in every area of my life fully secure in the Father's love and so do you. But it's not just security, it's, it's surrender. Surrender. And the best text for both of these is John 5. And in John 5, 19, Jesus says this, I only do what the Father tells me to do. <laughs> I only do what the Father tells me to do. So Jesus humbled himself, Philippians 2, and he took on the form of a servant. So Jesus became a servant. A servant of who? A servant of the Father. So do you realize that Jesus showed up, and this is why this is the same race that we race. Jesus showed up and said, okay, Father, I exist for you. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm gonna do. And Jesus then became the most dependent person that ever walked the face of the earth. No one was ever more dependent than Jesus. Every day, Father, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. And he listened and he obeyed and everything God told him to do, he did. Fully surrendered and fully safe and secure in the Father's love and approval. So above the surface, when we look at Jesus, we see grace and truth. Below the surface, we see the security and surrender. And we know that everything above the surface was done because he was secure and surrendered. 
So what happens when we look to Jesus this way? What happens when we constantly turn our eyes to his grace and truth and constantly turn our eyes to his security and surrender? Well, the first thing that happens is we begin to get whole and healthy. <laughs> we do. We really begin to, begin to get settled and we, we realize that he is gracious towards us. And instead of hiding in our sin, we start to run towards Jesus. Because what we realize is that when we sin, his heart breaks for us and he hates it for us. Does he hate the sin? Yes. But what he hates is that sin is leading you to death and he wants you to have his life. And so out of love for you, he's saying, don't do that. Come to me instead. And we sin and we mess up. And he says, just come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. If you don't know his grace, you will never run to Jesus with all of your dysfunction. And we need his truth. We need him to look at us sometimes and say, go get your husband. Well, I don't have one. You're right, you've had five. Because all of us have something like that in our lives. In some way, all of us have had five husbands. We've, we've all grabbed this and tried to get this and get this and get this. And sometimes we need Jesus just to look at us and say, you know why you do that? We need his truth. We need his security. We need to feel secure and safe in him. L listen to this. Children, as they grow up, will do a lot of really dumb things if they don't so feel secure in somebody's love. Children will do a lot of dumb things if they don't feel secure in someone's love. And so will we. So will we man, we will make a mess of our lives in the search of security. And praise God, I, I have a wife and a church and children that affirm me and encourage me. But the reality is, even if I didn't have that, I would have the father opening up heaven saying, you have been adopted into my family through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I love you. I'm proud of you. And I'm so glad you're mine. So when we start looking to Jesus, what happens is all of this dysfunction and this frantic life, which is rooted in not having a secure and a contented heart, will all of a sudden begin to slow down and we will begin to experience the life of Jesus. But the last thing that happens is this, is then we begin to understand how to navigate life with other people. As we get whole and healthy, then what happens is we are able to give grace and, and truth. Like we're able to, to have the kind of security and surrender it takes to give grace and the kind of security and surrender it takes to give truth. And some of you just have a really hard time giving truth. And some of you have a really hard time giving grace. And that's rooted in the fact that you have not looked carefully below the center and received the things that Jesus has for you. You know, the reason we don't often share truth is because we're afraid we're gonna be rejected. And the reason we don't often give grace is because we're afraid we're gonna be controlled and judged. And if I'm constantly needing from someone else their affirmation and constantly needing from someone else their approval, I will never give grace or truth. And so when I get free and whole and healthy in my relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm able to give grace to its full extent without worrying about what anybody else has to say and thinking I'm too gracious. And then I can give truth exactly the way it's needed, even if someone doesn't receive it. Because even if they rejected it, I still did what was right and I'm safe and secure in my identity with Jesus Christ. So here's what it means to look to Jesus. In the gracious hand of God the Father, saying to you, you're so distracted and you're looking so many different places and I see your hurt 
and I see your longing for someone to love you and accept you, and I see all of the things you're trying to do to do that. Listen, just, just stop and turn your attention to me. I wanna make you whole. I wanna make you new. And I want my life to pour out of you so that others come to get the grace and the truth that you have received. He just keeps graciously turning your head toward him. That's it. Every moment of the day, running from something to get something better. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.